Yeah, so good week. Good week for Michigan State recruiting, it appears. Yeah, I think this is probably what people were expecting coming out of uh, July. It just took a little bit of time. We had, had to let things marinate a bit. But, yeah, they, these are the type of weeks that when you're into recruiting and uh, kind of follow it closely, like I'm sure everyone in this room and ourselves do, that this is, this is exactly what you, you're looking for. Yeah, I think um, when you can get four commitments in four days and each of them having, I guess, major headlines that go along with it. So, for example, Nick Marsh, he's a top 100 uh, commit. He's the second highest ranked commit of the Mel Tucker era behind by Job. Um, and then, obviously, Xavier Booker, the highest ranked commit um, in 24-7 sports history for Tom Izzo and Michigan State. And then you have Stanton Rammel, who is the highest-ranked offensive line commit of the Mel Tucker era. So three massive pickups there. And then obviously Garrick Norman as well, who brings a lot to the table. So each of those having big, big, um, I guess, repercussions in terms of the kind of players those guys are. And to have it in four straight days, I think um, it's probably the most fun recruiting stretch that I've covered. And they um, – they really made sure that uh, my fingers were sore uh, after after the fourth day, but it's well worth it. Yeah, and something I, I found interesting about all four of them were they were all not totally expected in their own ways. Uh, I mean, you, first off, you start with really what kickstarted it was Xavier Booker. And, I mean, once it kind of started coming out that, yeah, he's going to be announcing here in the next uh, couple days, we kind of knew it was going to be Michigan State, but – uh, kind of over the summer, the expectation from at least myself and fans was that, yeah, this thing might carry out into the fall, and who knows what can happen then. You get different teams that jump in. Obviously, people, their eyebrows were raised when that Duke offer came in a couple months ago. Uh, Kentucky is potentially going to jump in. Uh, so, yeah, that it kind of kick-started there. Then I think, I mean, you look at the other three, like Marsh, Rammel, and then uh, Norman, like Normand, it yeah, they all kind of came out. I don't kind of came out of nowhere. They were kind of unexpected in terms of the timing of everything, especially Rammel. I think that that one, that that's probably the most shocked I've been in terms of landing recruit, just because it seemed for a little while that he was going to be going off to uh, Tennessee. Right when when I got that uh, text from a uh, from you saying, yes. "Hey, <laughs> tune into the message boards uh, uh, tomorrow, or whatever." Uh, so that was a nice surprise to see on on the boards there. Yeah, I think um, that's a that's a very good point. Um, in all four of those cases, I totally agree um, with with Xavier Booker. I think we all knew that Michigan State was leading, but as you said, the timeline was kind of unclear. Um, once Xavier told Eric Bossy that he would um, either be committing um, before the season or kind of like right when it started. Um, that kind of um, told us that good news should be coming soon if Michigan State could hold off, but um, for it to be coming within a week was kind of unexpected. Um, and then, uh, yeah, two days after that interview with Bossy is when I found out uh, through sources that he had given a verbal to Michigan State's coaches. So that was um, the start of it. And then Nick Marsh was um, was very unexpected. We had heard – rumors that um, he was probably going to announce after the visit, meaning like middle of the week. But um, he actually just announced that very same day. So that was 
one of the first times, uh, actually the first time since I've been at 24-7 Sports where we didn't have an article uh, published the second that a commitment went live. I think we were like 20 minutes late, 22 minutes late, so I'll remember that forever. Um, and then, um, um, yes, yeah, Stanton Rammel, you, you kind of put it well there. Tennessee was even with Michigan State, um, the 50-50 right there. And we had heard that he would be committing um, probably end of August. Um, so there, Michigan State uh, seemed to be in the thick of it, and the decision was not coming within the next uh, few days. So when we started hearing that the chatter was um, picking up that he might be committing soon, and then um, we got word that it was Michigan State, I think all of us were kind of surprised um, that, that that was going to transpire that quickly, uh, four month, four weeks ahead of, ahead of schedule. And that Michigan State had kind of just broken the tie just like that and gotten the commitment sooner than expected. And, yeah, Garrick Normand, um, he went from nobody knowing about him um, four days before he got his offer and six or seven days before he publicly committed. So that is obviously one of the quickest turnarounds. And we can dive deeper into each of the recruitments, but definitely a good point for you that each of them were – Pretty unexpected. This wasn't one of those things where, oh, we know some kid is committing in exactly 28 days, and leading up to it, you just have to make sure that no other school takes a lead. This was these all four of these were as much of a surprise as they could be for even us um, at 24/7 behind the scenes, and um, it was it was fun, a fun few days for sure. Yeah, and I think it was kind of the opposite of what we expected in July because. I think everyone kind of had these certain targets in their mind, maybe like three or four guys were thinking, you know what, they're going to come to campus, they're going to commit, they're going to be Spartans. And then uh, whether it be whatever happens in terms of the NIL world or uh, they just visit somewhere else and they fall in love, whether it be Presley or Elliot Washington, and you're expecting them to become Spartans as we're uh, possibly leading, and then you see them commit elsewhere. So it's kind of like that punch in the gut that you get but this was the complete opposite because we're, we're, we were prepared for it because things didn't seem to be trending our way with a, a couple of them. But, right. yeah, just to kind of win those battles and be able to deliver some gut punches to a program like Tennessee. And, yeah, it was, it was funny. I actually went on the Tennessee board um, just to kind of see what they were talking about when we sent that offer out. And, yeah, you know those – I don't know if you've ever seen those keyboards that uh, people with uh, kind of vision impairments use where they're just like – bright bright colors that's what it felt like going onto their board and I, I i clicked on it for about 10 seconds and i'm like you know what <laughs> whatever they're saying i'm not gonna be able to read so i got right <laughs> it was it, awful just absolutely atrocious yeah they um yeah they uh, maybe dark mode looks better on that I, I always use dark mode on all my devices except the 24 7 website so um, hopefully if that battle does turn into a recruitment that's worth following, that might come in clutch. But yeah, I mean, um, I guess which recruitment do you want to dive into first to dissect, Brett? Oh, you know what? That's, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm, I'm very interested about Rammel. I, I, that just, I think that one was the most surprising to me. Yeah, I think, um. So Rambles is the one I have the least amount of insight about. Um, he's a guy that never, ever talked um, to, I think, any media that haven't been covering him for two or three years. 
So some of the people down south that kind of got close to him uh, three years ago or so, um, those guys were able to get close here and there. Um, but other than that, like none of us were able to get really any sort of direct insight. We just had to use secondary and um, kind of one or two connection removed sources um, to try to get a feel for the recruitment. And um, we had heard that Michigan State was optimistic um, right after his official visit. We had heard that Penn State had also felt that Michigan State was top two ahead of them because Penn State also wanted State and Ramble. So everyone was basically um, unanimous in the thinking that it went Tennessee, Michigan State up top, and then a notable gap, then Penn State, and then pretty much everybody else. So those are the three teams at top with Michigan State and Tennessee further on top. And um, after that, it went radio silent for about three weeks. Then we heard, um, I think the third week of July, that um, late August was looking like the timeline. And then it went radio silent again for another seven, eight, nine days. And then um, myself, Corey Robinson, we were told that it's going to be Michigan State. And then we wrote up the pre-draft article. Um, I want to say right around – so when Nick Marsh went public, I was in the middle of writing the Stanton Ramble commitment article, um, which um, ended up getting published the next night when Ramble finally committed at 9 p.m. And uh, that's that's kind of how that went. That's that's how that went down. Yeah, that's that's good intel. And I guess from, uh, from my perspective, where I'm not receiving this constant information because I'm sure you're getting whatever method people can reach you at, whether it be Twitter, the message boards, Instagram, showing up to your house. Um, so how do you kind of filter out this information? Do you other because I mean, like I said, I'm sure there's multiple people coming at you from many angles trying to say, oh, this is what I'm hearing, this is what I'm hearing. So how do you how do you process this information? Yeah, it's hard, but it's getting harder and harder in the NIL era um, because usually, um, I would say last year, uh, it's like my first, my first year and a half in the industry, um, if you follow recruitment close enough, you can read the tea leaves and tell which team is first, second, third. Um, maybe not in an, any exact order, but you know which teams are like top two, three-ish, four-ish. Um, and if somebody tries to tell you otherwise, um, you can pretty much have a feel for, okay, this person isn't as close to the recruitment. So um, right now I'm going to trust my intel, maybe come back to them for a different recruitment. But right now I'm dismissing that intel. Now in the NIL world, especially with what we saw in the Peyton Kirkland recruitment of him committing to a school where he never even visited, suddenly all of your intel that you've had for six, seven months could all just be wiped out overnight the day before a commitment. So it it's much harder, and I find myself not making any concrete statements or claims on the message board as much and more of just, um, I guess, pre prefacing every message I post on there now. Um, and uh, you also have to be very proactive with the crystal balls, and it's much, much easier to get them wrong now when things can just come out of left field like that. But um, it also makes it uh, makes it more intriguing and more fun. Um, so it's um, yeah, it's interesting. That's for sure. That's a good question. No, I appreciate that angle because obviously, as someone who gets all their information from the message boards, obviously you you have to do that, but on kind of a more uh, micro level, just because you know certain posters have better info and whatnot. So um, it, yeah, I always find it interesting, kind of how people 
perceive information because it, kind of in this modern day and age, especially with recruiting in the NIL era, like, I mean, there's so much information out there. It's, it, it's just incredibly important to be able to identify what's good information and what's bad. And yeah, I, I don't know how you guys, you, Corey, Steven uh, are able to do that. And yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. remarkable. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's getting harder and harder. Um, but I guess we'll see which way the recruiting industry goes. Um, I think you also start to get a feel for which schools have the ability to come out of left field the more that um, the, the NIL era progresses. Um, like last cycle, Louisville wasn't on anyone's radar, and now they're blowing Texas A&M's offers off the, t- off the table uh, when it comes to Ruben Owens. Um, getting mad and Sanker even over Miami. Um, Louisville doesn't have deep pockets for, I guess, an entire class, but they can go get four or five really, really good players and even blow the reckless vendors off the table. So that was new to us. None of us really um, considered Louisville a threat for Sanker or Owens until I want to say the second week of June for Sanker, and I want to say the end of May for Owens. So that's like something you add to um, just your mental notes of, okay, now if Louisville is involved in a recruitment, we can't be, I guess, preconceived in terms of Michigan State's ability to land a kid because of the way they operate. And then um, you start to make notes about Oregon, Miami. Uh, those, less, those are less surprising, but also their first cycle um, operating at this level, at this threshold. Um, obviously, they've operated in this way for a while, I would say, but at these price points, this, this is new to them. Um, and then I think as, as the next cycle goes on, we have a better idea, a better list of schools to be cautious about. And uh, it'll just help us, um, I guess, foresee any sort of developments sooner than, than we're able to this year. That's good to know, just because obviously you see certain teams jump in the mix and it's different yeah. than it was a few years ago where you would see, obviously, if you saw, uh, we can just look at it, uh, Alabama. If you see them offer somebody who's potentially already committed to us or uh, we're kind of favored for that's when you kind of understand like okay this this might be a tough battle to win but now with nil whether it's i personally think it's viewed it as a good thing because it allows us a more competitive shot at these top kids but also it allows schools like louisville to swoop in and uh, do their little bag war thing which hey i mean if that's how they want to spend their money and uh, they, they think they can get results that way. Good, good for them. But yeah, I think that that's uh, something for myself and other fans is that I definitely keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, <clears throat> we'll see who can sustain it. Um, yeah. Some are not going to. Some are going to end up having um, a sitting duck head coach that's going to be performing poorly this upcoming season down in Louisville. Possibly getting um, another year just because of the recruiting class he's bringing in but continuing to be an underwhelming coach and just prolonging his tenure off of that recruiting class that was acquired in that fashion. And then um, eventually the donors funding it are not going to be happy with the return on investment they've gotten on it. And you're going to start to see programs operate in a very unstable way. There's going to be a lot of volatility, a lot of instability um, in certain athletic departments where the donors get their hands on recruiting and, overpay and and operate in that way you're going to see i guess the way that tennessee and texas have had their athletic departments operating in previous years running different coaches out of town every few years that's what you're going to start to see at some of these nil 
reckless spending schools where donors are not going to be happy with them paying millions for a quarterback and him never winning more than nine games in his collegiate career. So I think we're still two, three years away from that market reset with NIL just because these kids are going to be still pretty young and no one's going to be flipping tables over their ROI um, as their freshmen and maybe true sophomores. But after that, I think uh, some schools are going to find that there's a lot of problems that are coming with the way that they're spending um, in an unsustainable way. Meanwhile, other programs, I know Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, these programs don't need to spend as much because they can um, brag about NFL production and the championships, but they have the ability to do so. And they're just not going to do that because especially at Alabama, um, Coach Saban knows what kind of a culture you need to be winning titles. And it's not the kind of culture that some of the schools around him down in the South are building. Those cultures are not sustainable. So coach with his resources still knows down there that that's not the way he wants to do things, even though he could. And I think that's what people need to remind themselves is it's not just about winning bidding wars. It's about what's going to happen when those kids step on campus and are getting paid as much as their position coach and um, what, what that's going to entail. So I think Michigan state fans, um, yeah, they might not be landing um, like 50% of the top 100 kids that show up on their campus, like some of the schools, but what it what it's about is a sustainable method and um, a method that translates onto the field. And they'll still go after these big fish. They're not going to sit around and be like, oh, Miami's involved and they're paying seven times more than the market value for this kid. We're going to leave. No, because some kids, they'll give you that second place discount if they trust the development and trust the relationship. And um, you just need to know which kids and um, you need to keep trying and, until you until you miss out on them. Really, what's the downside to doing that? It's, yeah, maybe a few message board posters will be like, oh, man, I got my hopes up for this five star. Um, and that's really the only downside. As long as you have your backup options that you can pivot to and you didn't neglect those guys. Like, for example, Michigan State didn't get Chase Basantis, went all out for him. And um, they got Stanton Rammel instead. So why not go after the Chase Basantis as long as you're still recruiting the Stanton Rammel and you have all those plan A targets? And Coach Cap, he would have taken Stanton Rammel back in March. He was he was an utmost priority. Same with Samson Okalola, Chase Basantis, Miles um, McVeigh. So if you have these like four or five guys and you're recruiting them all equally, then yeah, who cares if you missed the big fish? At least you can say you tried. So. I don't have any complaints with, with the way that Michigan State is recruiting right now in terms of how they're approaching the big fish NIL deals. And you know who knows? Maybe a David Hicks or somebody will be like, hey, I know BT Jordan since eighth grade. I'll go ahead and give Michigan State uh, my verbal, even if they're not the highest bidder. And, um, yeah, it just takes one kid to have his priorities a little different than some of the other kids. And I think that's the way that it kind of goes. So I, I guess in terms of that thinking um... – I know this is a commitment that it's been discussed for a long time, or rather the recruitment is uh, Samson Okunlolo. Um, obviously, we know Miami has every crystal ball. We know what type of money they've thrown at different players. I guess my question to you is, we know that potentially he has, he knows what he can get from them or whatever right. John Ruiz, however he, he negotiates. Right. Um, I guess my question is, is MSU still alive there? Because usually when these kids visit Miami and these offers start leaking out, kids commit pretty soon after. So the fact that those crystal balls have been in for a couple of weeks now, I don't know if, if we've reached a month yet, but I find it interesting that 
nothing. We haven't heard a commitment day. We haven't seen him commit. And I'm, I'm a little interested to see if you think we still have a chance there or if the, the money that Miami has to offer or has offered is going to just win out at the end of the day. Yeah, I think um, what it really comes down to with Samson is I can see it going kind of one of two ways. One is either he, he has faith in their, in their offer and he's just hoping to see it get raised. Or two, he's not totally sold on the solidity of the offer and he's still considering other schools. I don't know which of those two very opposite sort of avenues um, that's going to go just yet. But I do think it's interesting that Miami has now lost Jaden Bonsu after being a total lock for him. And Olaus Alinen, um, they lost after being a lock for him and almost getting a silent verbal, I believe. Um, so after they landed guys like Jaden Wayne and Francis Mawigoa, their, their um, operation has gone a little differently than, than before that. So I can't speculate if, if um, Samson will be like Jaden Bonsu and Olaus Alinen, or if um, everything will pan out there as it's been presented to him. But you definitely raise an interesting point. Um, I'm not willing to kind of give a, give a percentage there. I would still say not to get your hopes up, and Miami's probably still the leader. But it is interesting now, now that this pattern is forming of some Miami locks going elsewhere. I don't know what to make of that just yet. Uh, that's interesting. I see yeah. we, got, we got Corey in here. Corey, what's going yeah. on? Corey was able to drop by. Yeah, um, I'm on my phone, so I don't know what the audio quality sounds like. But Yeah, sounds good. Bad. Sounds clear. Uh, pure. Sounds right, very cool. pure. All right, sweet. Then it's like you're, it's like you're whispering right into our ear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess, Brett, do you want to talk about the other three guys that committed, and then we can just keep diving into general recruiting topics and also listener questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, yeah, let's who's go next? Marsh. Let's go Marsh. Mm, okay. So Nick Marsh is a guy that it's a shame that um, – we didn't get to give him as much coverage uh, before he committed, just naturally because he's a 2024, because I don't think people realize how massive of a commitment this really is. Um, like, not even just him being a top 100 um, kid, making him the second highest ranked commit of the Mel Tucker era. It's really, like, he's a guy that is 6'3", 195, just a physical, like, presence that is going to be lethal in the red zone, lethal in the short passing game, lethal in intermediate routes. He's just a massive, massive player. And if he was in the current cycle and he was taking his official visits, he was coming up on unofficial visits as a current cycle kid, his name would have been um, said on the message boards and on Twitter more than almost anybody you can think of right now other than maybe DJ Hicks in the current cycle. Um, so fans didn't understand just how huge of a pickup that was just because he's a 2024 kid and those guys don't get a lot of publicity just yet. But that was a massive, massive pickup for Michigan State. Corey, you have anything to add there on Nick Marsh? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were. I even saw on the message board where someone's like, "Oh, uh, a couple of years ago, this one would have been a huge one, or whatever." And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I think he's at least uh, the second highest uh, commit in the Mel Tucker era. So yeah, it's a huge one. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that being a 2024 and being early, it kind of caught some people off by surprise. I know I found out on Saturday that he was going to commit. And like, I even had to 
like check a few different areas just to make sure it was legit just because I didn't think he was a guy that was going to end his commitment or end his recruitment that quickly just because he is a national recruit that had every offer. But uh, uh, he saw everything he needed at Michigan State and made that move. And I think uh, our VIP subscribers, they got to read uh, – the article that I did with his mom and, yeah, great and, article. and, and great I article. thought that was one of my uh, better articles. So that's probably a good sign for covering him in the futures. He's going to be a guy mm-hmm. that even as a commit, he's going to give me a uh, rock, rock quotes and yeah. <laughs> that stuff. So yeah, so, yeah but I think that's a huge get for them and it's going to make getting that quarterback in that class that much more attractive too. That's true. That's a good point. And my favorite part about the article that you dropped was it just highlighted how natural of a commitment it was. It wasn't one of those things where, Oh, he got put in the pressure cooker at the exit interview and he felt like he needed to commit or his mom was pushing him in any certain direction or anything because he told you, he just told coach Hawkins that he was committing and coach is like, um, asking like really, um, and, and more colorful words. And, um, that, that, so like coach, uh, Hawkins didn't exactly like pressure him. And then, um, he called his mom who wasn't at this visit was at, but was at previous ones. And he goes, mom, I'm feeling the same way I did last time. This time I'm going to go ahead and commit. And his mom was like, yeah, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. Um, so mom just let him handle it, um, as his heart desired and uh, like as as that quote said, this is how he was feeling before too. So it's it's like one of those things where it's a recurring pattern, and it's a solid um, solid feeling the kid keeps having. And those are the kind of commitments that stick, and uh, you feel really good about. And the number one most impressive thing about this entire commitment to me was is it had happened two days after he got back from Alabama, and that's when you would think it would be the hardest time to land Nick Marsh, where he's on his. Uh, in the middle of his, I guess, quote-unquote, post-visit high from Alabama. And instead of that being anything to worry about, they actually just went ahead and landed a commitment to Michigan State coming off of that visit. And I think that's just that's just really impressive. Um, Brett, who's next? Norman or Booker? That's a good one. Um, I was going to see if we could potentially not, not do them together because I think both of their right. recruitments are so that's similar yeah. but both different because obviously with Booker, I'm interested to see how Izzo showing up to mm-hmm. every family breakfast kind of helped. And then obviously with Norman where it just – it seemed like it happened over a week. So Good point. Yeah, I kind of yeah. want to hear the uh, differences there. Yeah, that's a great, great uh, way of presenting it because – kind of juxtaposing the two uh, recruitments together, they have some huge similarities and huge differences. Um, The difference is obviously the amount of time coaches have spent recruiting each of the two prospects. Um, Norman, he offered on Saturday. He committed to the staff on Sunday, and he went public, I believe, Tuesday. And um, that was – I think his name started popping up on the radar – I heard of it just the morning before it became public that he was going to be taking an official visit. So like all of us had just heard about it that day. Um, Very, very just under the radar, came out of nowhere type of thing. So less than a week, basically, of him being recruited hard. I'm sure they were making phone calls and texts with him before that, but nothing substantial. And then you have Xavier Booker, where Coach Izzo was 
every single place he possibly could be watching him play. And as AAU coaches said, um, Coach Izzo was coming to the games where Xavier wasn't even playing um, just to build the relationship, to show support. And after the games where Xavier played poorly, um, back when he was a back when he was unranked, or I should say outside of the top 100, when he played poorly, other schools like Duke and Kentucky and schools that were poking around, um, they kind of drifted back. And then when Xavier had some great showings a few months later and he became a five-star and all that, those schools tried to get back in the mix. And Xavier and his family valued loyalty. And Coach Izzo was with him every step of the way. He had longer talks with Xavier after the bad games than he did after the good games. And uh, Xavier didn't like um, – even the schools that that did remain consistent with him, many of them were just blindly positive after the bad games. But it, Coach Izzo was honest and uh, mentoring and kind of just guided him like a coach would and not just like um, a yes man like some of the other coaches were doing. And that is essentially – um, the vibe that his coaches portrayed to me on why Michigan State went out in that recruitment. Um, but yeah, so the differences being the time they were recruited, but the similarities, I already talked about there for Booker, kind of just the way that Izzo developed that close relationship with him, that that throwback Izzo kind of mindset of, I'm just going to build a better relationship with these kids than you, and the kids that have their priorities right will choose me, and some that have other things at the top of their list might choose somebody else. But with but with Norman, that same attribute was on display during the visit, just on a sh- over a shorter period of time. Garrick Norman's mom uh, gave me tons of quotes um, over that course of four or five day span of just the way that the entire coaching staff, the assistant coaches, their wives, um, they all basically hung out the whole weekend. And his mom said it basically felt like being at a neighbor's house that they've known forever. And that's just Michigan State basketball in the Tom Izzo era. So they won, they won both recruitments with a family feel and just building relationships in a, in a closer way than more, most coaches would. And uh, those are the similarities there. And um, just uh, reminds you, once again, of the way that Coach Izzo does things. And for those of you that follow Michigan State basketball and root for them, I'm sure that's what makes you proud to be a Spartan. Yeah, and one, one thing I'll point out is I thought it was interesting because obviously after Norman – committed the whole kind of recruiting class they went on to ig live together mm. which is just really cool and obviously they were with uh, uh another potential recruit there uh, that i'll let you talk about in a second but one thing yeah. i found interesting is the chemistry that those four have obviously jeremy fears he's uh he's the leader of the class and you can tell he's kind of the, the alpha of it all but i thought it was interesting kind of how um they all have kind of different you can tell that they, they have real chemistry. And I mean, sometimes you get in these IG lives where recruits are trying to commit other recruits and it just, it's kind of awkward, but this is just fully natural. And I, I mean, it's, uh, I think everybody really enjoyed it and we're, people are taking a very strong liking to this class. Yeah, it's uh that's a great point. Um, a lot of credit goes to the floor general, Jeremy fears for the way that he's built that dynamic um, over the past few months. He had been, recruiting um, Xavier Booker and Devin Royal almost on a daily basis. And that is just the way that, that Jeremy Fierce thinks. He just wants all the best talent around him. It's about the program when it comes to him and the way he approaches um, this upcoming season. Always he's just trying to find a way to bring as much talent with him as possible. 
Um, and yeah, that's credit to Jeremy and then Xavier, obviously. Um, it's not um, just in everybody's nature to become a recruiter on, on the flip of a switch, but he did. He was actually recruiting Garrick Normand um, two hours before he himself even posted his or had his commitment announcement with Paul Bencardi. Um, so Xavier was recruiting the day that he was committing, even before he committed. And then Garrick Norman, you could tell from his personality in the Instagram live, he's he's about to be recruiting very, very hard. And um, that's that was started by Jeremy. That was continued by Xavier and um, kind of capitalized upon by Garrick the second he committed. And let's see what happens with Cohen Carr. It's um, He's going to be a tougher pull than Garrick. He has that SEC flavor to his offer sheet where a lot of those schools are all in the same area down south, closer to where he lives. Um, I believe he's from Georgia, plays in South Carolina. So we'll see. I think um, right now I don't know who the leader is. I wouldn't say Michigan State's running away with the recruitment or anything like some might. But I um, thinking about those three guys that are going to be recruiting him very hard, it's also hard to see Michigan State not having a very, very good shot. So we'll see what happens. But I guess, Corey, now I'll just let you talk about uh, any of those three guys and just where your head is at with um, just the basketball recruiting right now. Yeah, with uh, Carr, I guess – the thing I kind of was thinking about was uh, now he's kind of got all eyes on him just because mm-hmm, Izzo mm-hmm. and the coaching staff, you know, they've got the other three guys on board now. So now he's going to turn all of his attention and focus on Carr most likely going forward. And then you have, like you guys mentioned, the the three commits already on him and having that relationship built up with him already and all of that. So I think that's going to be huge, but, uh, it's hard to bet against Tom Izzo once he kind of zones in on his guy, like like you mentioned with Booker, where he, you know, he locks in and like he, nobody's gonna outwork him. Doesn't mean he's always gonna get the kid. Just like he may not get Carr, but from this point forward, it's safe to say that nobody's gonna recruit Carr harder than Izzo. And then uh, Norman, I thought what kind of made his recruitment speed up or fit right is that he's the perfect uh, prototype for what Tom Izzo builds the program around where he's just like that tough kid that wants to kind of get in the scraps and uh, get in people's faces or, you know, if he takes a shot to the face, he's just going to get more fired up, which is kind of the, what Izzo wants out of his player. So I think they were able to move really quick with that just because it was the perfect fit personality wise. So that one's easy. And then, like you said, Booker, that remind me a lot of the older recruitments where you would see Izzo lock in on his top target and just show up to everything. Like anything that the NCAA allowed him to show up to, he was at and how he was with Booker. So, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely changed the narrative of where the program was heading when, once you landed those guys. And then, uh, a guy that's been here, Jeremy Fears, I thought he was a guy that I liked a lot when he committed, but I wanted to see him get a little more aggressive with the shot. Uh, and I think he was a guy that had a huge summer and kind of really jumped up. Uh, he's still got to get the shot down a little bit, but now the biggest key for me was seeing him starting to take it, which was honestly, you know, the biggest key to me is just to not defer and go put that shot up. So, yeah, I think it's got a chance to be one of uh, the better classes as those had in at least a few years. 
But, yeah, and I think it speaks to kind of uh, Izzo's plans for the rest of his career. Uh, obviously, this is just me speculating, but I mean, with him putting together what's going to end up being a top five, top three class, I think the writing is on the wall for him to have probably three to five years that he plans to coach, whether that gets extended past then. I'm sure that that's just kind of kind of be up in the air for uh, until it happens. But I think that that would potentially be his pitch to these recruits to get left. I'm going to be here for your entire uh, collegiate career. So I think that that's a huge selling point he can have. Yeah, I think uh, from everything I've gathered, uh, Coach Izzo has the energy and the passion to to definitely coach five years, if not longer. Um, Probably has the energy to do it more than five years because keep in mind, he's, um, I think he's 68. And some of these coaches like Bayheim and Coach K coached till 78. And I think Bayheim might even be 80 by now. He's still coaching. But he has the energy to coach at least five years. The question will just be, um, will he have to change too much in order to have to succeed? And would he rather stop coaching than changing that much? Um, and right now it seems like, at least from recruiting the high school uh, ranks, um, he has proved to himself that he does not have to change his morals and the way recruiting should be done in order to have success. So now the question is just, uh, can he every single year continue to recruit his way and still have this much success? And if he can, I believe he'll continue to keep coaching in, until uh, he runs out of energy. So Energy-wise, he's good um, in terms of his comfort level with the game. We'll see. That's really the, the big wild card there. But um, yeah, I think another thing yeah. to bring up too, though, is just like if you really look at uh, the point guard position, like that's obviously always been the key position for Izzo. And you look at what his uh, point guard uh, room looks like for the next uh, five years, it's in really good hands. So I think that's something – that's going to kind of give him a little more comfort too, because he knows that his most important position is solidified with beers and Trey and uh, AJ's still got a few years. Hogard. So, I mean, I think, uh, I think that's another factor that plays in, but yeah, I'm with you too, where I think the only thing that keeps him uh, not coaching for at least five more years is if the, uh, the system just gets out of hand where you're starting to see some coaches walk away. I think that's really the only thing that would push him away earlier. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think um, that's kind of what we saw with Jay right there. And um, I guess we'll see how many more coaches it does that too. But yeah, great point. His most important position that he runs his offense through is in great shape um, through the 2023 recruiting class. And even in 2024, they have some great options there. Um, um, I think Jace Richardson, um, uh, fat, fat Brooks. Um, and then I want to say maybe even Trey McKenney, he might be a combo guard. I might be misremembering there, but he, Coach Izzo has, uh, in 2024, given himself lots of great point guard options. So they, um, point guard recruiting is as uh, high of a level as it has been at Michigan State for, for a while. Um, all right, Brett, now it seems like we've gotten through the things on our checklist. Um, what, what do you want to discuss now? Should we go to some questions in the chat? Do you have anything in mind that, that you've been thinking? Uh, yeah, let's go to the chat because if we, if we start diving into my mind, we'll be here for like three hours talking about <laughs> different things that nobody cares about. So, yeah, let's yeah. go to these questions. The first yeah, one I want to ask about, this is a recruit that I have tweeted about a few times now, and I'll probably 
<laughs> tweet about a lot coming up in the next few months is the quarterback Jake uh, Merklinger. Mm-hmm. Um, where obviously, I think you guys pointed out in Spartan Tailgate that, that this past a weekend at Spartan Dog Con was his fourth visit to Michigan State. So where does he? Do we know what his timeline is? Do we know where Michigan State stands and? Kind of what, what however things looking there. Were you able to talk to him at all since his visit? I would say I would go in a bold prediction, and then after that, I'll let Corey uh, go ahead and, and take over. But if his offer sheet remains what it is, which it probably won't, so that's that's what makes you take this with a grain of salt. If theoretically, in a perfect world, this were his final offer sheet, I think Michigan State um, is is the top choice for him right now. So we'll see who gets involved. Um, he doesn't have necessarily some of those offers like the Clemsons, the Georgias, the Alabamas down there. So we'll see who gets involved. But right now, yeah, this was his fourth visit, visit to Michigan State. I would say this is his best relationship. I believe that's what he said to another outlet uh, yesterday. Um, Chad Simmons uh, over at On3 uh, said himself that he believes Michigan State has kind of risen uh, to the top of the list and has been standing out. So, yeah, I think – Right now, with, with where things stand, uh, Jay Johnson and Jake Rayling and those guys could not have done a better job. Now it just comes down to, yeah, what the timeline is and who else gets involved before that, and I don't have those answers. But so far, so good. Corey, what do you have? Yeah, I know he's someone that would uh, – I, I think his timeline would be after his season this year. Kind of, right. But uh, – not necessarily like saying that he can't speed that up or he won't, but that that's kind of what I was hearing. He was kind of thinking prior to his last visit. And then I agree like uh, with Chad Simmons, who you had mentioned, I think Michigan state is in front right now uh, just comes down to closing and finishing it out. And uh, like you mentioned already uh, who comes in and offers, if there's something that, he has that dream school or whatever that comes in that can complicate it. But right now uh, things are definitely trending in the right direction for him. And for Michigan state, that's a top hundred quarterback out of Georgia. I think uh, that's a state that produces some of the best quarterbacks in the country year to year. Uh, So he's going to be a guy that comes in tested at the high school level and knowing what he's doing. So that would, be a monster pickup to put him with Nick Marsh in the 24 class. I agree. Okay. And okay. So kind of going off those answers, one, one kind of uh, leg I want to ask there is that um, in terms of quarterback recruiting, like we see all the time where uh, a kid might be close to committing to whether it be Michigan state or uh, another school. And then you get one of these so-called dream offers where Alabama comes in, Georgia comes in, Clemson comes in. And then the kid, it's just too good to say no. In terms of quarterbacks, do you see that happening often, or do you think that position, since it's it, it's obviously so unique, there's only one of them that gets to play, do you think that there's it's more relationship-driven, where if you build up this lead like they're potentially doing right now with Merklinger, that that could, that could uh, kind of overcome any sort of late push from another university? That's a very good question. Uh, Corey, yeah. you can go ahead. I, I think, like, quarterbacks are accelerated more. So maybe you don't see it as often, but there is, you know, a school like Ohio State who has kind of showed a track record to not saying that they are for Jake, but just using them as an example where they're a school that can kind of come in late and with the success that they've had passing the ball and throwing it, 
they can make up ground pretty quick. So there's a few schools like them or Clemson that can do that. But but overall, my point would be that quarterbacks kind of form those bonds and relationships a lot faster than a lot of the other position groups. Uh, evidence with Jake taking four visits here already, just even though he's from Georgia. So uh, definitely it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with him if the relationship Michigan State's doing gets too far of a lead for anybody to jump in or or if there is someone we got to worry about on the radar with him. Yeah, Brett, I think uh, uh, to answer the question about, like, how quickly quarterbacks might, like, I guess just fall victim to the best offer and jumping on it, I think with quarterbacks, yeah, like Corey said, Ohio State is probably one that can get away with that, maybe Clemson. But for the most part, quarterbacks have to really buy into the scheme and they have to really connect with their offensive coordinator, whereas maybe someone like a defensive end um, might not. They're, they know their objective. They know they have to get after the quarterback. And as long as they're not playing, um, I guess, certain kinds of, of, of defenses where they're not aided by, in their pass rush by maybe like one of those, um, I guess the way I would put it is the Eagles defense where the, the defensive line has no help and they're just four guys rushing against five, six blockers. And anyway, I won't rant about that, but – other, other than very small cases, defensive linemen and stuff like those guys, they don't have to care about scheme as much. Quarterbacks, yeah, they're, they have to be totally sold on the scheme, the playbook, and the potential that they could make the NFL with that offensive coordinator calling the plays. So, yeah, I think other than the couple of schools Corey mentioned, um, it's harder to just lose a kid overnight the day an offer comes into quarterbacks because they're more relationship-driven than some of these other positions like defensive end that I referenced. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there's so much that goes into recruiting and obviously each one's so different, but right. that was just something I was a little curious about. So I appreciate the, the yeah, insight there. Question. All right. So let's go down to some of these other questions. Okay. Here's one. It's non-recruiting, but I thought it was, uh, gave me a decent laugh. Would there be any interest in a charity event where people bid to smoke a cigar with a legendary chief in person and ask <laughs> any MSU-related questions? All right, this is what I will say to that. I have no intentions to ever like <laughs> put myself out there like that, but I will say that last year, um, me and some friends, we did smoke cigars after games. Uh, I won't say at, on campus. Coach because... Tucker, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, not yet. Um, um, that, that's the dream. No, but yeah, I mean – Obviously, we didn't smoke them on campus, wink, because that's not allowed. But, yeah, if you uh, are on campus and you smell the, the scent of a, a cigar, a nice cigar, I would just follow that scent, and there's a there's a pretty solid chance it's going to be me and some of the guys there. So that that's what I would say to you. Uh, I think the name is Peng Shi. So thank you for the question, Peng, and that's kind of where that's at. So that's, yeah, that, that's funny. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get back into the football questions of what people are here for. So, um, okay, so this one from Michael Boudreaux. Are the staff still in contact with Ryan Yates and King Mac? Um, so I don't have specific intel on which currently elsewhere committed guys they're, they're going after hard. I will just give a blanket statement that one of the staff's most um, – one of the loudest messages um, that is kind of echoing through the halls right now is that they are definitely going to try – relentlessly to flip guys committed elsewhere. Their overall philosophy is not to just move on and give up on those guys. Um, I would guess that, that those two guys are reasonable to assume 
um, part of that same sort of uh, part of that mission. But yeah, in general, they're definitely not just giving up and moving on. So um, a lot of these guys that, that have been lost uh, for now, they will try to get before December. And uh, some of the negative recruiting that some of these other schools were doing was based around them saying, oh, it's just one good season. That's all Mel has put together, one good season. So if they go ahead and win nine games or so this year, a lot of the neg- negative recruiting goes out the window just before signing day. And we'll see. We'll see what that does. And uh, if kids kind of start to realize that the negative recruiting was kind of inaccurate, and if they go ahead and, and do make the switch. So very interesting. Yeah, so I get my, my follow-up to that would be, in terms of, obviously, if, if the staff, if the team is able to win 9, 10 games again, uh, playing the New Year's Six Bowl, obviously that's going to be big with helping with recruiting. But how big is it for some players, especially on the defensive side of the ball? Because I think the offense, we saw it last year that guys that can play in this offense, they can become a, a second-round pick. Um, but how important is it for to see some of these guys that have either transferred in or uh, we've developed as uh, as they came in under Coach D'Antonio and now some of Coach Tucker's guys, how important is it for us to see some of them become high-level NFL prospects, whether it be an Aaron Brule who was projected to be a second-round pick last year. If he's able to reach his potential in uh, Scotty Hazleton's scheme and he's able to work with uh, Coach B.T. Jordan on some pass moves and uh, he can become sort of a, a hybrid 3-4 uh, linebacker, how how does that help with recruiting? Does that That's factor a- in just as much? Does that yeah. – like if we, if we go 8-4, and four, does having two guys drafted in the late first overcome that? Yeah, that's a great question, and I would point uh, across the conference to Penn State, and I would say they have had a fairly underwhelming previous three years um, in Happy Valley, and yet they continue to recruit at a very high level. And there is essentially one reason for that. Um, yeah, I guess they have a nice atmosphere and tradition, but at the same time, that's not happening if you're not putting out tons of guys into the NFL, whereas, like, your ninth or tenth best defensive end of the last five years is is on the NFL teams like Etor Grossmatos or Shaka Tony. Um, these guys are putting out in the NFL at high clips are how you are able to overcome some mediocre seasons like Coach Franklin has had over there. Um, so that's proof is in the pudding of how much of an impact the NFL production angle to your program can have. Um, obviously, the goal is to not even have those letdowns so you can capitalize even more and recruit at a higher level. But that just shows how putting guys in the NFL can overcome so many other elements to your program. And, uh, yes, the Michigan State start putting uh, Jacoby Winman in the fourth round, Jada Reed in the fourth round, um, just uh, all these guys putting them in the NFL and starting to add sort of an NFL resume to Coach Tucker's um, to Coach Tucker's uh, resume. Um, that would be That would be big for recruiting, massive. Yeah, and I think too to add to that is uh the last few years with uh the previous regime regime uh, obviously they didn't recruit the a lot of the players that they had been earlier when they were having more success and that translated over to guys not making it to the NFL as well. So so they almost are playing uh they in a way they're getting penalized for what they inherited. So now you got to be able to put those offensive linemen in the NFL to make it easier to recruit offensive linemen or the defensive linemen or just, you know, in general, where I think you see Kenneth Walker going in the second round. Um, 
I've talked to quite a few uh, 2024 running backs already, and people have noticed him. That was my favorite running back in college football last year. He got drafted by the Seahawks uh, early, you know, so I'm already hearing the effects of just getting Kenneth Walker in the NFL and what that's done uh, for the running back recruiting with the 24s, especially in the 25s. So, yeah, I think that part of it is a huge piece that they've got to get along with, you know, backing up a good season last year with a another good season. I think, honestly, eight and four would be a pretty good year in the minds of recruits. Uh, you know, that's not any record that's going to push them away. So uh, if they can win eight games at least and then uh, get a couple of those guys drafted, that's a huge, uh, huge deal for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that's that's well said, and we can go for your, for I guess uh, ten fifteen more minutes here, depending on what questions come in. But um, just scrolling through here, um, other than Marsh, uh, who are some in-state kids to watch out for in twenty twenty four? I'll just answer some of these uh, quickly, and then I guess we can get to some training camp topics to close it out, and whatever other listener questions come in. But um, when it comes to the state of Michigan in twenty twenty four. Um, two guys that stick out to me right away are the two in-state tight ends, Dylan Messman and Brady Pricecorn. Um, those guys are both four stars. They're both top 247 guys. Um, they're going to be uh, important prospects for sure. Um, and right now, um, Pricecorn is the third-ranked kid in the state of Michigan, um, according to the composite. Um, Nick Marsh, Michigan State already has. He's the fourth-ranked kid in the composite in the state. Jacob Oden is fifth. He has Michigan State crystal balls. Uh, I think Michigan State leads there, but he was kind of just advised to slow down his process. And then Dylan Messman is sixth. And I think after there, um, the only other real, I guess, P5 prospects I see are Jameer Benjamin and Jeremiah Beasley, who are ninth and tenth in the composite. But Michigan State uh, will go after the guys ranked third, fourth, fifth, sixth, ninth, maybe tenth. Um, and uh, I think there's there's decent talent there, but state of Michigan is just down recently, so I wouldn't look any further down the list than that. But, uh, yeah, those are some names to watch there. Uh, Jalen Thompson, uh, can he play defensive tackle, or is he strictly a defensive end? Corey, I'll, I'll just toss that over to you. You've seen him play more than me. I, I think he's more of a defensive end, uh, probably strong side or weak yeah. side. I, I don't think it would be optimal for him to – put the necessary weight on uh, to just to slide them inside, just to say you have a defensive tackle. So I would keep them outside. Yep. That, well, that's well said. Um, Nate is asking which current 2023 commit do you think could make the biggest rankings jump with a strong senior season? Um, I would kind of say maybe the two lowest ranked guys right now and Eddie Pleasant and Bo Edmondson. Um, Eddie, I think he's better than his rankings in terms of the way that he's extremely fluid um, he's very, very um, anticipatory, um, almost uh, plays pass defense as if he knows the plays. He just breaks on the ball so quick. Um, and then Bo Edmondson, I think he's just a gunslinger, stands in the pocket until the last second, makes a great throw into tight pockets. Um, I think he plays at a very high level of football down in Texas. So um, he'll have the spotlight to go ahead and, and make a jump. Um, and then Clay Whedon, I think 24-7 has him ranked lower than where he is in the composite in terms of position rankings. Um, I would hope and expect that maybe that would kind of, that Brad bridge would kind of, that gap would kind of get bridged. Um, those are the three names that come to mind to me. Corey, do you have any quick ones? Uh, to that? Yeah, I, I know he's kind of rated 
uh, high already, but as you know, I'm already working on Allen to get Stanton Rammel up <laughs> even higher. Uh, I think, you know, he's right around 200, I think 190 something with us, uh, but, or in the composite, but I, I think he's better than that. Uh, he's got the six foot 10 wingspan, just really athletic, uh, huge hands, everything. He, he's basically what you want your, your tackle prospect to look like. Uh, so I, I think if maybe I think it's Andrew Ivins or uh, Patanga or somebody with 24-7 down there, I think they just need to see him in person. Uh, even in his email, it says that they haven't saw him in person yet. So he's a guy I think that even though he's rated pretty high already, uh, if uh, we get some of our national guys down to one of his games and see him, I think he could could and should go up higher. And then for the question, McVeigh to Bama, um, seems like it's looking that way. Um, he's probably going to be a guard at the next level. Um, so, yeah, Michigan State really wanted him. But I guess when you have Cole Dellinger and uh, probably Clay Whedon, if he plays guard, I think that's not as huge of a loss um, as if as maybe if they didn't have those guys. So I guess we'll see if anything changes there. We'll update that on the Charlotte VIP board. But, yeah, I would say he's most likely going to Bama. Um what are your thoughts on the new basketball offers for EJ Walker, Jesse McCulloch, James Brown, and recent Purdue decommit? Um, so for the Purdue decommit, I know Ant had said that um, Michigan State got involved immediately, and um, I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but for me that um, Michigan State interest would be surprising just because of the fact that I think they only plan to take four guys. I'm like 90% sure they only plan to take four guys, and with the position they're in with Cohen Carr, who, yeah, he's not very refined in terms of skill-wise, but he's an NBA-level athlete, and he can guard the positions one through four. To go from that as one of your options for the fourth spot to a 6-1 combo guard, those seem to be two very different buckets. Both kids are very talented. Um, both kids should be ranked in the top 50. I believe the Purdue decommit actually is. And um, obviously great players, but I, I'm kind of curious on the philosophy and if that would actually make sense. Maybe they're willing to take five, and that's why there is interest, but I haven't been able to confirm myself that there's interest there, so I can't say too much there. Um, and then as for the other guys, I had an article with Jesse McCulloch. Um, right now he's very wide open, not really much insight in where Michigan State stands, but um, if Michigan State prioritizes him, I think they can make the top group. EJ Walker, I know he took an unofficial today. Um, I don't have anything there yet. And then for James Brown, um, obviously that's the recruit, the top 40 center from, I believe, Illinois, um, where Jeremy Fears has known him since second grade. Um, haven't gotten a chance to talk to him yet, but that tells me right away that that's going to be a recruitment to watch for. Um, and then I see Carter just asked any 2024 basketball officials that could be scheduled soon. Uh, 2024 kids can't schedule officials until – I don't think right now, I know that 2024 basketball recruits can schedule them before football ones, but I don't think it's this soon. I don't think it's for several months at least. Um, and then Michael asked if any chance Thurman is still looking at us. He visited Auburn. I think we'll know more there in the fall. He's visiting Auburn right now because it's closer and he doesn't have to buy a plane ticket to go do it. That doesn't necessarily tell me that Auburn is second place there. Um, let's wait until the fall and we'll have an answer there. But yeah, Michigan State is always recruiting the guys that committed elsewhere. And I'm sure that Jelani Thurman meets that criteria as well with how talented he is. Um, all right, here's a good question that pivots it towards um, the training camp talk. 
Is there any sleeper player in MSU football who can make a significant on-field impact this year? I'm hearing great things about Davion Prim from the coaching staff. Um, I'll turn it over to you guys. Uh, Brett, also, you feel free to weigh in on this. I know you watch things closely as well. I'll defer to Corey on this one. Um, I don't know much about Davion Prim. Um, oh, yeah, not Prim. I just meant in general. Oh, yeah, I'll go with – I know I'm going to go with a super sleeper. I'm going to go with Justin White because mm. he didn't – He he's more of a special teams guy. But when he has played corner, they do this, like, corner blitz with him. And he might be the fastest human I've ever seen in person. I think he, he hit Cade McNamara in that game last year. Yeah. He, I think he got from basically the <laughs> sideline to the quarterback in about a second. So, yeah. uh, I'm very intrigued to see, and especially, especially uh, punt return, because I don't think Jane Reed necessarily is going to get used as much there this, this year. I uh, hope not. Because That's a good point. I just don't like it because, I mean, obviously you have a couple of the returns for touchdowns, but I just don't think the risk outweighs the reward. I agree. I think the risk outweighs the reward. So, right. yeah, I think Justin, Justin White, that, that's a name I'm keeping an eye on. That's a good point. Corey? Um, yeah, I don't think necessarily a sleeper just because I think most people know the, the two deep or whatever, but I think uh, Keon Coleman, uh, mm-hmm. he's going to have a really big year. Uh you see pictures of him. He's just uh, turned him, his body around. Like he's going to be a problem for guys to cover. So I think, uh, and then obviously, uh, the main attention is going to be on Reed, obviously, <laughs> which he he's earned that. So I think you're going to see him uh, put in a lot of work. And then on defense, uh, like I'm a I'm a big Jacoby Winman fan. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so I think. He's a guy that has a chance to kind of make the defense uh, special, especially in that front half of it. And then uh, I guess if we we're going with a sleeper, I don't know if he's a sleeper, but I think uh, a guy that they need to get something out of because they need it at that position would be uh, uh, the defensive end out of Florida, whose name is now leaving my head. Chris Bogle. Chris Bogle. Yeah, Chris Bogle. Like, I think he, he's not a sleeper, but I think he's a guy – that needs to have a big year to kind of solidify that spot opposite of Jeff Petrowski. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, I just echoed the Jacoby women sentiments. Um, there is nobody that I think um, is more slept on than Jacoby Winman. I guess Michigan state fans are, are kind of appreciating him, but like nationally and stuff, people don't realize that this is a guy that first was, all Mountain West third team as a defensive end where he led the team in sacks and then switched to traditional linebacker. So he went from a pass rushing defensive end to switching to a traditional linebacker and then made second team all Mountain West. So he can do it all. There's not anything he cannot do essentially on the football field on defense. And he's built like an NFL player to begin with. Um, Very athletic. This is a guy that I think has all the tools to be all big 10 this year. Um, so yeah, I guess not really a sleeper when it comes to Michigan State fans, but nationally he's not getting the the hype that he deserves. Um, who are some freshmen that will see the field? Or actually, wait, before that, any of the young defensive lines standing out? Uh, I think Alex Van Sumeren is one that that people would say, but he's kind of locked in with the defensive tackle room being as deep as it is, so he might not get to play as much, even though he has the talent. So I'm gonna go with Zion Young. 
after he committed to Michigan State, everyone in the football building told me he was one of the most underrated players in the previous class. And I didn't, I didn't dismiss them or anything, but I was just like, okay, cool. Let me file that away. Mental note. Um, didn't really say anything about that. And then when I'm seeing the way that he is kind of sized up uh, alongside some of these other guys and just his build and the way he's moving and some of the videos I've seen, I can absolutely see what they're saying. Again, I don't know how much he's going to play this year. Um, Chris Vogel's pretty seasoned. Jeff P is reliable. Michael Fletcher, I guess we'll see, but I think I think Zion Young, watch out, watch out for him at his Michigan State career. Yeah, that, that's what I would add to. I mean, it, right now it's too early to say like nobody's earned it. They haven't put any pads right. on it, so so definitely uh, nothing as far as like oh we're hearing this guy is doing good right. because for linemen I don't nothing matters until they put pads on to me like that the short stuff that we see at the camps and all that stuff that's not. That doesn't really show you a whole lot. So, yeah, but right. but the, the eyeball test and like right. the coaches talking, uh, Zion Young is a guy that's definitely caught my interest because he looks like he's physically ready to play as long as he knows all the aspects. Yeah, good point. Um, oh yeah, the have, what are some? Yeah, go ahead, Brett. Yeah, I have a question. Yes. How's the quarterback room looking? Like what's mm. what's what do you think the depth chart's going to be? I, obviously, mm. I, we know who the starter is, but kind of that two through three, two through four. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like it, it could almost go in any sort of way. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think we'll know after some live scrimmages happen this fall. Uh, we'll know more, but right now, I heard that Kaitlyn Hauser got um, significant second team st- uh, reps when they were kind of in shorts and t-shirts. What I haven't figured out is how much that means because on one hand, that could be something where they wanted to build Kayton's confidence where maybe it's a little easier in shorts and t-shirts to kind of not be flustered by the pocket collapsing and the internal clock and all that. So maybe they just wanted to get him some, some good quality reps while it was easier. And maybe now when they put the pads on, he maybe goes, falls behind, maybe, Noah Kim and maybe Hamp Fay, I don't know. Or whether that's going to continue into now when they put the pads on. So that's something that'll be interesting. And I think hopefully we'll know more after the scrimmages. But that's that's an interesting question that I'll also be watching. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think it's uh, obviously Thorn one. And then I think the two and three is between uh, Kate and then uh, NK14. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. we've heard heard his name come up a lot uh, with uh, Mel, and I've talked to other people in that room, and they all say that he's really good. So, uh, I guess uh, we'll, hopefully we see some some scrimmages, and as they do, the coaches are going to break down as much as they want to publicly, uh, so we'll yeah. get a better feel for it. But I think it's basically, obviously, one is one with uh, Thorne, mm-hmm. and then it comes down to who has the best fall camp, who's going to be number two. Yeah, yeah, I think that's well put. Um, what is the ceiling for Amir Speed, Jason asks. Um, very high ceiling. Um, I personally have not seen him run in person, but I know other um, players on the team have uh, kind of made uh, puns with his name, kind of saying, like, yeah, he lives up to his name, and – We'll see. I think that was one of the things that Georgia fans had kind of said that 
he he didn't do an amazing job staying with some of the receivers, but also you have to take into account Georgia fans are spoiled. Um, even the the guy that he lost his job to after he was injured, uh, Keely Ringo, probably going to be a first-round NFL draft pick in a few years. So it's all relative, and all the feedback we're hearing is from Georgia fans that have seen the best of the best. Um, so, yeah, maybe he's not Georgia's starter quality for a full 15 games, but he was for a few games. And in the Big Ten, um, yeah, I think uh, if you kind of look back at who the best corners have been in the Big Ten the last few years – where they got drafted, the Sean Wades of the world, and and these guys. Um, I think you can have an easier shot of being a very good corner in the Big Ten, even if you did not start all 15 games for Georgia last year. So ceiling is high. I don't know. I'm not going to be ready to say where I think he could get drafted in the NFL draft. But if his speed checks out with that level of length, then his ceiling can be pretty high. But until I see him run with my two eyes, I can't hype it up too much. Corey, what do you have to say there? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, obviously, you know, if he was a, a a lock first, second round, he's probably not losing the job to Ringo. Right. But also, I mean, he lost that job to injury too. So I guess That's true. we can't say, like, he didn't lose the starting job because of performance. He started, I believe, the first three games and then had an injury. And then from there, they kind of, uh, gave it to Ringo because at that point uh, the red shirts off. He's a a five star who's going to be a probably a first round draft pick going forward. So there's that's the clock got started. So you got to run with it. So I right. think he can be a good player here. But yeah, it's just a matter of uh, him and just the defense as a whole. You know, obviously they left a lot to be desired in past defense last year. So like it's not even about the skills. I think. A lot of it had to do with scheme and just the approach. So I'm interested to just see what the approach in the defensive backfield is this year. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to the next question in the chat here of uh, are we going to have a running back this year getting a majority of the workload or will it be more uh, by committee this year with the transfers? I would say it will definitely start out with committee. And uh, maybe if one guy separates himself, then it might transition to um, more of maybe um, I would get Jerick Broussard if I had to guess who would emerge and separate themselves. But um, yeah, it'll. I think week one it, it'll definitely be by committee. But then again, like we, they haven't scrimmaged yet in fall camp. Maybe in the two or three scrimmages they do, Broussard or I don't know, maybe Berger or somebody else is just dominating. And then they might not. But with what we know today on August fourth. I would be very surprised if it doesn't start out by committee for the first few weeks. Yeah, I think it's good um, to keep a committee yeah, too, ahead. honestly, keep guys fresh. And like, That's obviously if true. there's somebody like a Kenneth Walker, which there's not, uh, and that, that's not a knock on them. That's just Kenneth Walker was the best running back in the country last year. And yeah. that was a close. So I think it's good just to get two or three of those guys, you know, as long as you don't have any fall off and get those guys carries each week and just kind of keep guys fresh. And if you got a hot hand that week, then, then just use that guy in case where burger, he's more of a, a straightforward, uh, try and run you over where, uh, Broussard is kind of cuts and stuff like that, that you saw with, uh, K nine. So I think you could go week to week by matchups and stuff, but I, I think you'll see at least two guys, if not three, kind of get a good share of carries each week. 
Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, Tyler's asking, will Brandon Wright get some playing time at defensive end this year after his performance at the Peach Bowl? Yeah, I think he's definitely going to be in the in the two deep. Um, yeah, I, I can see him Brooks at twenty four seven. He's got him as the uh, having a really big year. Yeah. But, but, so so Stephen, Stephen, he knows ball, and he's saying, watch yeah. out for for Brandon. So we'll be watching out for Brandon for sure. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, he, he looked really good. Um, he also looked really good against Penn State. Um, he looked good in, in the Peach Bowl. Um, some of his sacks, I think he came unblocked, but at the end of the day, he has the tools. Uh, he has the athleticism for sure, switching over from running back. And, and if Stephen Brooks says to watch out for him, then I, like Corey, also say to watch out for him. Uh, that's all the questions from the chat. I guess, Brett, do you have any closing uh, things you wanted to touch on? No, I I thought this was uh this first time my my first time doing a Spotify live. I actually enjoyed. I think this chat feature is really cool and something. Obviously, don't get on the Twitter spaces. So yeah, I mean, if you ever want to have me back on, I'm definitely interested. No, in doing never. That, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, this this, yeah. this was this was a lot of fun. And, yeah, yeah, I appreciate definitely. everybody for the questions and whatnot. So yeah, I mean, obviously recruiting it, it's kicking back up now, and yeah, I mean, it. I think it's going to be. a a pretty crazy fall, especially when the team starts putting together that winning streak to start the year and they're able to uh, compete with Ohio state and bring them down. I think you're going to see a paradigm shift in college football. Yeah. It's a lot of exciting times ahead and uh, fall camp is just very, very exciting. And you start to think about all the different packages they can use, all the different guys in the two deep, the creative looks and all that. And, um, it's very, very exciting times. Um, Corey, anything yeah, you want to add? I think too, like I think a lot of the defensive coaches and players are going to come in with a chip on their shoulder because right. I mean the talent level obviously improved. Uh, adding speed in the back and then especially the front half of the defense, I think that's improved a lot. Linebackers, but I think they're coming in kind of knowing that they didn't play as good as they wanted to on that side of the ball last year. So I imagine you're going to see a lot of, a lot better defense this year than we saw last year. Yeah, for sure. That's true. Defense so, is going to be very intriguing. Brett. I actually have one last question. It's a real yeah. quick one for you and uh, you and Corey. It could just be a quick yes or no. Yeah. Does the university of Pittsburgh beat Michigan state? If Kenny Pickett plays on um, December 30th, does, does, Kenneth Walker play? Do, does Kenneth, yeah. Does Kenneth Walker play? Yes. Yes, then Michigan State beats Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, I guess if Kenny Pickett and Kenny Walker played, uh, it would have been maybe 51 to 41, and he still loses <laughs> by 10. But but he, he gave up his customary 50 to 40 points in his defense that has kind of struggled in Pittsburgh. Yeah, because you think about the way that Michigan State's offense played for the first three quarters – um, yeah, Pittsburgh had figured out how to do it without Kenneth. Right. Felt like. right. Like, like Michigan state, um, wouldn't have just ran up and down Pittsburgh. Cause obviously Pitt has a good uh, run defense, but I guarantee you they don't look nearly that bad for three quarters. So if Narduzzi wants to go on his weird delusional rants on local radio shows and talk about, Oh, Kenneth, Kenny Pickett would have played that we would have scored 21 points more. Well, if Kenneth Walker plays, Michigan State doesn't look like that for three quarters. 
and they don't need those um, scoring bursts at the end to win. So I, I guess I guess you could at least argue that Pittsburgh um, has a better chance with Kenny Pickett playing and Kenneth Walker not playing. But if you're trying to have a hypothetical where everyone's best players play, then, um, yeah, I'm taking uh, Michigan State to win that game for sure. Yeah, and it's probably like he, he took another loss because that's just not something uh, winners do. You don't right. hypotheticals up after a game that's been played. And yeah. that was a clear thing. Like, yeah, okay, if Kenneth Walker played and it was a 10-point game and you, uh, kind of Kenny Pickett didn't play, then sh- – I mean, you still probably don't need to bring it up, but if you said it, somebody might believe you, I guess. But, yeah. but you have the two best players of both teams yeah. uh, missing. Then and there's he, no point of talking like and that. He, and he called out his offensive coordinator um, for, I forgot which regular season game it was, but there was a regular season game where they ran the ball for an average of 2.9 yards per carry after 30 runs and they passed the ball for great success. I don't remember what those, what those passing numbers were, but he said afterwards that I wish we would have ran the ball more. And this is with him having, having the Bolitnikoff winner, Jordan um, Allison. And obviously the Heisman, um, I guess the debatable Heisman uh, finalist, um, Kenny Pickett. And he is questioning his offensive coordinator for not running the ball more on a game where they could not run the ball at all after 30 carries. And I don't know what kind of media crusade he's on this year, but and I don't know if the Michigan State stuff was driven by him not getting considered for the head coaching vacancy um, and if there are sour grapes there. Um, but, yeah, he, he was not a, a viable candidate for Michigan State at all. It's not what Michigan State was looking for in the next in this next era of college football. Um, and I agree with that totally. I think uh, the second his name was his name was brought up, um, I was immediately like, no, absolutely cannot be him. And I think we're starting to see why a little bit. And let's see what Pittsburgh does this upcoming year. Let's let's see what they do now that that offensive coordinator is gone, Mark Whipple over at Nebraska. And um, yeah, I think that's all that needs to be said about that program that doesn't even have their own stadium. Brett. <laughs> I got I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> yeah, that was probably my best impression of you there. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks again for joining. Thanks, Corey, for being able to drop in. Uh, appreciate you, Brett. You did a phenomenal job uh, leading the discussion. Um, just I couldn't thank you enough for, for the way you guided this and, and for all your contributions and all the support you show for our work. Um, you make recruiting fun for the fans. And uh, I know Corey and I both appreciate that and all that you do. And again, thanks everybody that tuned in. I know a lot of you might not have had Spotify Live before this or even before maybe our previous episode. Um, so I know that that's not taken for granted. And thanks a lot. I know doing it on Spotify Live helps us a ton because one, first of all, the chat, the live chat is cool enough in order for us to field tons of more questions. And but more importantly, I can get this out as a podcast um, within 24 hours, whereas Twitter spaces take sometimes up to five to six days to send me the audio file after the space ends. So I'm just exclusively using Spotify uh, live in the future. And uh, hopefully this season uh, we'll be doing some game preview and game post game shows. 
probably not the probably not the day of the game, but maybe two days before and like a day or two after. So definitely keep the app, stay following. If you don't already follow, go ahead and follow us. And once again, thanks all of you for joining in, and thanks to both of you guys for joining. And uh, that does it for today's Spotify Live um, slash Spartan Spotlight episode. So thanks a lot for joining.